you are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host Rob Rang. It's officially bye week, so no game to prepare for this week, but still tons to talk about, a jam-packed podcast coming your way. Help support your local businesses, whether you're corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks are off to the fastest start in franchise history, at least from a record perspective, opening at 5-0 for the first time. But Seattle's most challenging opponent this season might not actually be on the field, and it may be coming this week in the form of a bye. Normally when an NFL team has a bye week, everybody is celebrating. Players are flying all over the world for a week to recharge during a rugged season, but obviously, Rob, that's not going to be allowed this year. No Russell Wilson going to the Caribbean or anything. They're staying put in Seattle, and the league is forcing players to be tested every single day, but still, as Pete Carroll was indicating on Monday, this is going to be a really difficult situation because they're getting out of the structure that they've had since training camp opened. Exactly, Corbin. I mean, they're getting out of the structure, and and that structure was put in place to help the the players and the and the rest of the of the the team's employees stay safe. Um, and so I think that uh, that you're absolutely right that this is it's almost like having a, a bigger opponent during your bye week, and that of course is so different in 2020 than what we've seen in the past. As you mentioned, with you know Russell Wilson's been kind of known for taking some some pretty extravagant trips and just being able to have a little bit. Of R and R, a little bit of rest and relaxation during this long NFL season, and that's not going to be the case now. Um, obviously, with the COVID uh, situation, then everybody has to stay safe. Um, and it's kind of like you know when I look at the, at the college football scene, you know there was a big argument from a lot of people out there who basically said you have to have college football because if you allow these young players the freedom to be able to kind of enjoy, then then they might make some some bad decisions. That ultimately put themselves at risk and and most importantly from a, a professional football team's perspective that you put the team at risk and that's something that Pete Carroll talked about um, and so that to me is again the challenge is that now that the team is on by then are the players and again the other employees of this team going to be able to remain as focused as possible we have seen you know COVID outbreaks happen throughout the NFL and the Seahawks have been extraordinary in their ability to basically stay clean and so if they they are able to do so, then I think that there's a good chance they're able to come back off of their bye and continue this impressive winning streak. But this is a bigger and a very different challenge than what they've faced so far 
with the other teams. As Pete Carroll said, everything is at stake here because the players are not going to be practicing this week. What Pete Carroll's hope is that with players already being forced to come in and test every day for COVID, they're still going to be treating it like it's a normal week in that regard. What he's hoping is that players are going to come in and they're going to work out. They're going to be around the facility, do whatever they need to do to maintain as much normalcy as they can this week. Their routines, though, are not going to be the same as what they have been. And so Carroll's got some concerns there. He, he doesn't want guys going out and making errors, changing the way they do things, going in into situations where they're running into the wrong people at the wrong place, make themselves vulnerable. And they've had sort of a, a semi-bubble since training camp opened. And right now, that bubble is in a position where it can be exploited a little bit because they're not going to have everybody at practice every single day as they have. And so this is certainly a very difficult situation. These guys have to continue to be disciplined or you might find yourself in a position like what the Titans have found themselves in the last couple weeks and no NFL team wants to end up in that position. And so I know Pete Carroll has been preaching this I mean, he probably was talking about it before this game on Sunday against the Vikings. That when we get to this bye week, you guys just need to hunker down, as he was saying to us last week. Players are not going out and sitting in restaurants. They can order carry out and stuff like that, but they're not going sitting in restaurants. What he's probably hoping this week, if you guys need some R and R, just chill in your house with your family and turn on some Halloween movies, or if you're like me, go play some Gears of War, or do something where you're relaxing, but you are not putting yourself at risk, and that is going to be crucial this week. It absolutely is, uh, and, and that's one of the things, again, I think the Seahawks deserve a lot of credit, is because they have been able to, to, to stay home and stay healthy so far, um, and, and so I, I think that that is uh, reason for uh, excitement, frankly, because uh, you know there have been some other teams that have struggled with this to this point, um, and, and so to me, that is what this is all about. As Pete Carroll said, I mean, this is all about conscience. This is all about you know just the, the idea of, of the putting the team ahead of yourself. I mean, there's a lot of people right now, virtually all of us, who want to get out and go do something, want to go, you know, just get outside. And when you are an athlete and famous and have money and have means and have all these opportunities, that's that much more difficult to basically stay home. And so uh, kudos to the Seahawks for trying to get ahead of this, um, trying to make sure their players and, again, their other employees do stay home. And I thought that it was fascinating, Corbin, that, you know, this is, of course, their bye week. Normally during the bye week the, the general manager the scouts they're still very much working they're still very, very much evaluating talent i thought it was interesting that the seahawks did not have any tryouts or visits it's almost like the team basically recognized that hey last week was the week to do that where they had an nfl high number of tryouts and visits um, and then of course they wound up signing damon harrison and we talked about before um, but this week they did not have any tryouts or visits, at least not on Monday or Tuesday. And they wound up actually cutting a player, Tim Williams, from the practice squad. So I think that there's minimal movement because you don't want to be bringing in a whole bunch of new bodies into your facility. Um, whereas I think there's a lot of other teams that would take the opposite approach. So I think you got to give the Seahawks some credit because they are kind of playing ahead. They had their big evaluation week last week before their bye. They are giving their players some time to kind of rest 
rest and recuperate. Um, but at the same time, they're also uh, still very much evaluating moving forward for the Arizona and the Cardinals who are coming up next. And like I said, I'm sure this is a discussion that Pete Carroll's had with the players numerous times as this season has progressed, looking forward to this week. And obviously he wants his guys to relax. He wants them to get rested up because then you're going to have to play 11 straight weeks. So you want to make sure that your players are ready for that stretch run. And I'm not saying they can't go out and do anything. You and I both know that there are some places you can visit where you can socially distance. Maybe you can go visit Mount Rainier or if the weather's holding up, of course. But I mean, there's stuff you can do to get away without making yourself vulnerable, but you have to be smart. And Carol uses this word all the time. You've got to be disciplined. So he is counting on his players all doing the right thing and taking the right direction this week so that when they come back next week, you don't have any surprises and a player gets a positive test or a couple players, and then suddenly your facility gets shut down. They want to avoid having a Titans-like situation. So that's on the players this week. They have to be disciplined as they've been all the way through this process, more so than they have when they've had practices several days a week. They've just got to make sure that they are making wise choices here and then get into next week and hopefully they can continue this great run of success that they have had so far. When we come back in the second quarter, speaking of success after the bye, the Seahawks have been pretty darn good when they've come back from a week off. For our Throwback Tuesday segment, we're going to be revisiting the Seahawks' success in those post-bye games during the Pete Carroll era. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me is always Rob Rang. Later in the show, we're going to wrap up our analysis of Sunday's victory over the Vikings, looking at the defensive side of the football, some observations in a, a game where there were certainly some issues, but the defense also stepped up in crucial moments to help the Seahawks stay undefeated. Let's talk bye week now. It's throwback Tuesday. We don't have a game to prepare for. We don't have an opponent to look at, potentially. So instead of taking that approach for this week's segment, we're going to look back at the 10 prior games the Seahawks have played after a bye week. And I I think there probably are some listeners out there wondering, well, it's got to be a huge advantage to have an entire week off and then come back and play. And it certainly is, but not every team has success when they've had a week off. Sometimes it ends up being detrimental and guys come out flat. You can have guys that aren't disciplined during the week off and maybe they're slacking, they don't work out at all, and then suddenly they come back. That's something Carroll has preached on for years, that his guys, yes, I want you to relax, but you got to make sure that we're staying in shape, we're staying fine-tuned, so that when you guys come back, that the week is not a struggle. And so 
Not every team handles these bye weeks as well as others. The Seahawks, though, have typically been pretty darn good in these situations. They lost two of the first three times after a bye the first three years that Carroll was here. But since then, Rob, the Seahawks have only lost one of their last seven games after a bye. And that was back in 2015 to the Arizona Cardinals at home that 39-32 primetime loss to Carson Palmer and the Cardinals that year. That was the infamous Drew Stanton game where even though he didn't play a single snap he was celebrating on the sidelines as the Cardinals ended up sealing that win with a touchdown run I believe it was Andre Ellington that had that touchdown for the Cardinals but otherwise the Seahawks have been unblemished in games after the bye they've got a four-game winning streak including last year's 17-9 win over the Eagles or as you and I like to call it the Rashad Penny bust out game yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the things is that Rashad Payne did have that big bust out performance in that game. And that's what kind of powered the Seahawks to that win over the Eagles. And and as you said, Corbin, the Seahawks have been pretty remarkable in their success. Seven and three all time during the, the Pete Carroll uh, era in, in Seattle um, have won four consecutive games since that 2015 loss to the Cardinals. Um, and so that is you know very exciting, obviously. Um, at the same time, you, you see a Cardinals team that's going to be next on the schedule for the Seahawks that is they're starting to play pretty good football Um, and considering how much defensively Seattle has struggled the idea of going up against Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and you know and Kenyon Drake I mean and of course Larry Fitzgerald is a pretty daunting task so you hope that the Seahawks will be able to get a little bit of of rest and relaxation during this time but at the same time not too much because if you get yourself out of shape against a team that's going to be able to put up the points that I anticipate the Cardinals will, then you can get yourself in trouble. And and I mention that because this this has been a team that in the past, at least early on, you and you kind of touched on this, Corbin, that at least early on in Pete Carroll's tenure, that this was a team that did struggle a little bit out of the bye. They lost two of their first three during Pete Carroll's time, including one of the absolute ugliest games I've ever seen, a 2011 loss to the Cleveland Browns that was the score was six to three. Worst I mean, NFL game I've ever watched. Easily. Yeah, I mean, that that is about as ugly as it gets. And so I'm not going to suggest the 2011 team that, of course, did not have Russell Wilson on it or Bobby Wagner or, or so many of the rest of the Seattle Stars um, was obviously a very, very different team uh, than the one now. But at the same time, again, the 2020 season is a very different one. And so a team that normally has a chance to just to kind of rest and to get themselves prepared for the next week's action, that's going to be different here. So I'm fascinated to see how the Seahawks are able to handle this and if they are able to keep their unblemished record going because the Cardinals are a legitimate foe and so is COVID. Yeah, those two, those are two major opponents. As we mentioned, the first quarter isn't just about the team you're playing against on Sundays right now. And it goes back to that discipline aspect. We're not going to have time to break down every single one of these games. And luckily, we won't have to talk about that 2011 game any more than just briefly mentioning it. But looking back at the last couple games the Seahawks have had, talking about that Eagles matchup, it was a game that was broke open by Rashad Penny's 58-yard touchdown run. But 2018 against the Detroit Lions, one of Russell Wilson's best games in terms of efficiency, carved up the Lions with three touchdown passes. That was also a game I remember Chris Carson running over Quandre Diggs at the goal line for his lone touchdown in that game. So interesting that they are now teammates together in Seattle. And then, of course, 2017, an easy, boring 24-7 win over the Giants. Nothing super memorable from that particular game. But one that jumps out to me, and we're talking post-bye, 
when the Atlanta Falcons were still good back in 2016. Seattle won 26-24, but everybody might remember that game for the crazy finish where if you go back and watch the replay, it's pretty apparent that Richard Sherman was pulling down on Julio Jones' arm there, and yet the officials didn't call anything. The Falcons, it was an uproar on their sideline, but Seattle got that two-point victory in that game that was a back-and-forth affair. So that's one of the more memorable ones. And then, of course, back in 2013, the Seahawks Super Bowl season absolutely blew out the New Orleans Saints in primetime, 34-7. to The Saints were considered a contender for the Super Bowl that year just as much as the Seahawks. And Seattle just put a whooping on them in that game. And I think that's maybe the most notable thing here, Rob. You look back at the games, there's been some close ones like that 26-24 win over the Falcons. But... They won by two touchdowns against the Lions. That was a three-touchdown game at one point. They beat the Giants 24-7. That one was easy. They beat the Redskins 2014 27-17, the Percy Harvin farewell game, basically. And then 34-7 against the Saints in 2013. A lot of these wins have been pretty convincing. Exactly. And that's the thing is, as I mentioned in the 2011 game, that six to three ugly loss, um, that was kind of how things were. Let's talk about how things are now. And, and the Seahawks have been, you know, extraordinary out of the break, um, you know, over the last several years, as we mentioned before. I mean, they're, they're looking for their fifth consecutive win um, coming out of the break. Um, and I'm happy that you highlighted some of those games. I mean, the big win against the Atlanta Falcons, as you talked about with, with Richard Sherman, I mean, was obvious that anybody who was watching from a neutral standpoint that Richard Sherman was pulling down on Julio Jones at that point but that was a game in Seattle and as we talked about and we know that it's pretty difficult for a referee to, to call the flag uh, when you have 65,000 screaming 12s out there and so that again is going to be one of the challenges um, that you're seeing now is obviously with the lack of uh, the impact of the home crowd um, that, that Seattle has been able to rely on in the past that that's going to be a different in, in you know the entire 2020 20 season and then as well as the 2013 victory against the Saints that that was the game that I think that a lot of those kind of fair weather Seahawks fans that they started to recognize wow this is a possible powerhouse here maybe we are gearing up for a Super Bowl run of course that happened so again considering the fact that I think that the Arizona Cardinals are one of the sneaky playoff contenders in all of the NFL then I think that you have a a formidable opponent looming ahead of you. Um, And again, it's going to be incumbent on Seattle to remain focused during this time um, because they have a track record now of being very impressive out of their buys. Can they continue that? And hopefully we'll see, uh, continue. It has been the start of an incredible 2020 season. We'll get more to that matchup next week when the Seahawks are actually back from the bye preparing to play the Cardinals. It is interesting that Arizona actually has a Monday night game against the Dallas Cowboys this upcoming weekend. So they're going to have a little shorter week to try to prepare for the Seahawks will be coming off that bye. But again, we'll break that down next week. Seattle will be looking to extend that post-bye week winning streak to five games against the Cardinals. When we return for the third quarter, we're going to wrap up our analysis of the Seahawks' 27-26 win over the Vikings in Week 5, looking at the defensive side of the football, which players stood out, which players struggled in this game. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid runner and weightlifter, it's never easy to stay on top of your game. 
Whether I'm trying to increase my max on bench press or cut my best mile time by 10 seconds, there are always obstacles and you have to find a way to power through them. What is your wall and how do you run through it? For me, I turn to Built Go, the healthy replacement for your energy drink. Coming from the makers of Built Bar, you know it's top quality and delicious. Easy to take in one and a half ounce packages, it's the best workout gel on the market without the crash feeling you get from products such as 5-Hour Energy because it's all natural with one-third of the caffeine of a monster drink. Built Go comes in three delicious flavors including peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Loaded with the good stuff to help me power to my goals, it includes fast-absorbing collagen protein, beta-alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine to help me get going and promote joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look better. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Tuesday show, my co-host, Rob Rang. The Seahawks improving to 5-0 and for the first time in franchise history with a thrilling 27-26 victory over the Vikings on Sunday night. Yesterday, we had a chance to break down some offensive takeaways. Now we're going to swing over to the defensive side of the football. And this game was kind of a strange one on the defensive side when you consider that the Vikings had so much success running the football against the Seahawks defense that had been really stout against the run up to this point. They didn't give up a ton of explosive plays in the passing game. They gave up several big runs during this game. As bad as the defense played at times, though, they held the Vikings to 26 points. They made some key turnovers when they needed them. I think we're talking general takeaways for this game as far as areas that still need to be shored up. The Seahawks, they forced the Vikings, they stopped them on third down nearly 60% of the time. The Vikings had just a 43% conversion rate, which is better than what the Seahawks have been doing most of the first four games of the year. But the issue was it was the type of third downs they were given up. They gave up two that were third and seven or longer in the first half that extended long scoring drives. And then they had two other opportunities to get them off the field on fourth down, and the Vikings converted both of those in the first half. So that's why they went into the locker room, the Vikings having the football for more than 20 minutes in the first half and really dominating the time of possession game. And and I thought that's where the Vikings really were able to get out in front, get that 13 nothing lead. They kept Russell Wilson off the field. A lot of it had to do with the ability to extend those drives. And so I think the stats there are a little bit misleading. The Seahawks really had their issues, particularly in the first half, getting off the field. They absolutely did. I mean, the, the stats are about as one side as you can get. Uh, I think that if you look at this game, then it's it's hard to imagine how the, the Seahawks were able to emerge victorious, um, you know. And so it, it, people who didn't see it and instead are just kind of you know going off the statistics, I think that they would think that the Seahawks lost this game by double digits. I mean, just consider the fact that the Minnesota Vikings had 31 first downs to Seattle's 18, that, that Minnesota had 12 rushing first downs, twice as many as the Seahawks. Uh, the, the, the Vikings had 449 all-purpose yards to Seattle's 314. I mean, it was absolutely in- incredible how much the Vikings were able to win on all of the statistics that kind of matter. 
but not as much as the final score. And, and you mentioned, Corbin, about the, the third down percentage, and, and Seattle's defense did show some improvement of how they had performed in previous games, You know, holding the, holding the Vikings to basically 42%, 6 of 14 on third down. Um, they, the Seahawks did give up the, the two fourth down conversions in the first half, but of course, as we talked about yesterday, Cody Barton, uh, Bobby Wagner, and then Benson Mayoa con- contributing to the, the critical fourth down stop when the game actually mattered to to uh, to spark Seattle's come from behind victory um, so to me there, there's a lot of statistics out there that if we want to focus in on we can make it sound like the Seahawks defense is even worse than it looked in the previous weeks but at the same time the team is 5-0 and and the, and the Seahawks defense continues to make big plays especially in the turnover department and so with that said the player that I definitely want to make sure that we focus in a, big, a great deal of attention on would be KJ Wright. In his first start, the strong side linebacker position, we see his his, his strength, his length, and of course the, the terrific interception, one-handed grab that really turned this game around. So yeah, as Pete Carroll said, he was like Spider-Man going up and getting that football. It, it's really remarkable that KJ Wright, you know, he, he had a bunch of clunkers the weekend before that Ryan Fitzpatrick just gift-wrapped for him and he couldn't intercept them, and then he makes that pick. That's just that's sometimes how this game goes. That was one of the best interceptions that I've seen a linebacker make in any game, and he really is playing the best football of his career. You might be able to make an argument right now that he's out playing Bobby Wagner. And Bobby Wagner's had a really good season, but KJ Wright is playing. I saw a couple writers for The Athletic pointing this out today that the way KJ Wright is playing right now, especially considering the struggles they've had at other parts of their defense, you can make an argument right now that KJ Wright is playing at an all pro level, which is fitting because he's had earlier seasons where he played like an all pro and he didn't even make the pro bowl in part because he had so many stars around him he's just always kind of been that guy that's been good but he just kind of doesn't get the headlines and gets overlooked this might be the year given the fact that this defense has not been good for him to go out and play the way that he's playing getting picks getting pass deflections racking up a bunch of tackles this might be the year he finally gets some of that recognition that he has deserved for a long time it could be and that's one of the things is that because he's making that positional switch as well i think that's one of the reasons why that you might see him start to get a little bit more acknowledgement um from those across the country um to possibly you know get the credit that that he deserves and just what a spectacular player he has been for the seahawks um again to be able to make that transition i know that there's a lot of folks out there who really don't uh you know or aren't able to to discern the difference between the weak side linebacker position at least the way the seahawks play it in the strong side linebacker position but but basically it's asking him to play up at the line of scrimmage a lot more often be able to use that length and strength to be able to kind of um, allow Seattle's defense to play a little bit tougher against the run and and that's one of the concerns I have for the Seahawks is because as you mentioned Corbin they did give up a lot of yards to the Vikings here and so I think that it's worth wondering if the Vikings had not lost Alvin Cook early on in this game maybe this game completely turns around um, because clearly Minnesota was dominating at that you know at that level before Cook went out with what was the, the Vikings very first snap on the offensive side of the ball at least of the second half and that's where the game really turned around so as as excited as I am about what that that the KJ uh, KJ has been able to bring to the Seahawks at the same time I also think that the, the other linebacker position the weak side linebacker position where Cody Barton took over has been a bit of a concern now again 
Barton was spectacular on the play that mattered the most. And, and he was statistically absolutely terrific in this game, actually tying with Bobby Wagner for game-high 14 tackles, including a game-high nine solos. But at the same time, there continue to be some issues with his tackling in the open, in the open field. And we consider the running backs that Seattle is going to be going up against soon, including Drake of the aforementioned Arizona Cardinals. That is something to very much be concerned about. Yeah, I don't want to really pile it on too much on Cody Barton, especially because he did make that huge play at the end of the game. But now that I've had a chance to watch the All-22, my priors were confirmed. What I thought I saw on Sunday night at the stadium, the Vikings were isolating him with the run game. And they were getting linemen to the second level, and he just could not get off blocks. Or he wasn't avoiding them either. There were times where he could have had just really difficult to block at the second level as an NFL lineman, especially when you're going against a really athletic linebacker, which Cody Barton is a really good athlete. He's a converted safety. But yet he was letting offensive linemen get on him, and then he could not get off blocks. And then the other issue, about four or five of those tackles that he made You don't notice this in a box score, but if you watch the football game, there were four or five of them where he was riding the Dalvin Cook train. He basically got a tackle after being dragged four or five yards. That happened multiple times in this game. So again, I don't want to pile it on this young kid because I do think he's got some ability. We saw a lot of flashes of positive play last year, and he had that big play at the end of the game. As you mentioned, when it absolutely mattered, went up and blew up the fullback to allow Bobby Wagner to go in and make that play behind the line of scrimmage. But they absolutely need much better from Cody Barton. And Jordan Brooks is going to have a really good chance to be coming back the next game. And I'm sure Seattle will be eager to get their first-round pick back in the lineup. Nonetheless, they need better performance overall from Cody Barton than what they got the other night. The other player that continues to struggle, too. Again, I never look to pile it on players, but... This is the NFL. If you're not playing well, you are going to get criticized. And Trey Flowers is not playing good football. Going into this game, quarterbacks had a rating of 121.7 when targeting Flowers. I don't have the data yet for this game for advanced stats. But I can tell you just watching the All-22 that Kirk Cousins, especially when they fell behind and the Vikings were trying to come back after that 21-point surge by the Seahawks, who was he picking on? He was picking on Trey Flowers. He, he went after Shaquille Griffin a few times, but most of the time, Adam Thielen was going against Trey Flowers when he was out there filling in for Quentin Dunbar. Dunbar played well when he was in the game, but did not play all the snaps. It just seemed like any time Trey Flowers came in the game, Kirk Cousins was immediately going right after him. And why wouldn't you when he's given up an 80-plus percent completion rate the last couple of weeks. I mean, with those kind of numbers, any quarterback is going to be eyeing him as the guy that they want to go after. And so I've been really disappointed with how he's regressed to this point. Yeah, it has been uh, concerning. Um, you know, I think that the, the lack of a pass rush is, is one of the reasons why Seattle's defensive backs have not been quite as effective. And, and that's just kind of, you know, chicken or the egg kind of a conversation. But, yeah, I, I thought that, that Trey Flowers played his most aggressive football as a rookie. And these last couple of years, it feels like he has been, um, you know, playing a little bit more on his heels. Um, he has never really turned and located the football quite as well as as I think that that, you know, the, the Seahawks would like. Um, I, I think that uh, 
the, the, the Quentin Dunbar that the Seattle is obviously hoping that he is going to be an upgrade, that he also would, would push Trey Flowers. Um, but yes, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I thought that the, that the Vikings basically targeted Cody Barton and, and targeted Trey Flowers in this game. Um, and that both players made some plays, but they also showed their struggles. And I think that they can continue to expect future opponents to try to target them. And that's pretty concerning again, when, when you consider just how dynamic that Arizona Cardinals offense is uh, coming up, I'm, I'm excited to watch. We were talking before about what the Seahawks might be doing, uh, you know, during their bye week. I, I think that they're going to be watching the, the, the Cardinals play the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. I want to end this podcast on a positive note because, again, I, I'm not a fan of ripping players. It, it is the NFL. When you're struggling, people are going to call you out for it. And Cody Barton and Trey Flowers both endured their struggles the other night. And any reasonable offensive coordinator that knows what he's doing is going to watch the film. And those are going to be guys that are going to be circled. We can attack them if they're in the lineup. And you got to make them pay by playing at a higher level moving forward. But the guys that really stood out in this game, even with the way the Vikings were running the ball, again, I, I thought a lot of it had to do with Cody Barton. They were really picking on him, but Jaron Reed had a monster game. That is maybe the best game he's had since 2018. He didn't have a sack, but he had a couple pressures on Kirk Cousins in the middle, a couple tackles for loss, and the Vikings were having a lot of trouble blocking him throughout this game. And I got to give a shout out to LJ Collier and Demontre Moore too. LJ Collier just each week continues to get better. He had a quarterback sack, the first one of his career. He had another quarterback hit on another play. He had three tackles. He had a play that isn't in the stat sheet where he helped bring down Kirk Cousins on that two-point conversion, which ended up being huge in this game. And so he just continues to show up, and he's making clutch plays. He's doing well, gets to run a number of tackles that other guys are making because of him, how disruptive he is off the edge. And then, of course, Demontre Moore getting that strip sack as well, and and the special teams tackle. I would be remiss if I did not mention that. You don't normally see 265, 270-pound defensive linemen on kick coverage, and yet here's Demontre Moore absolutely annihilating Amir Abdullah. I think I saw his soul fly out of his body after that (laughs) hit. It it was just incredible. That might have been the best special teams kickoff hit that I have seen in an NFL game. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It was just, it was so beautiful and it happened so quick. He just hit him and then he's down on the ground. It's one I've probably watched 15 times since Sunday night. So he continues to play well and he has as many quarterback hits as Clowney has in 40 less snaps. And so take that for what it's worth. Obviously Clowney's only played in three games, but he's played more snaps. Moore has been an excellent addition bringing him back this season for the Seahawks. And they have to be grateful that he stepped up with the way that the pass rush has been going into this year. They, they absolutely have to. I mean, and that, that's the thing is that, you know, the, the Seahawks are getting sacks and, and forced fumbles from players like Benson Maioya and Demontre Moore, who are undrafted free agents. I mean, th- these are guys that your your top picks aren't necessarily always going to be the guys that are the ones that are, you know, producing. And I'm happy that you mentioned LJ Collier because obviously he's a first round pick and one who has gotten a, a, you know, a lot of negative buzz in Seattle. I mean, his I- improvement in his second season so far. I think is one of the biggest stories in Seattle right now, but also is just the mental and physical toughness that the, you know, some of these undrafted free agents, some of these late round picks, some of these, you know, guys who are on their second or third or fourth NFL team, like a Demontre Moore, for example, or a Mayoa, 
um, that they are are showing, and, and their big plays are are coming up at, at opportune moments. And to me, that is one of the most exciting things about the CX. So, as you said, Corbin, we we try to kind of stay positive. I'm happy that you highlight the players that you have. Uh, I think that the the fact that, that Ryan Neal is another one, Ugo Amadi is another one, um, that have played pretty well in these last couple of weeks. They're definitely going to be challenged again uh, again by Arizona Cardinals. I, I'm excited about what they've shown so far. So hopefully they'll be able to continue that stellar play and Seattle will roll on uh, going up against the Cardinals and, and, and start this season 6-0. and Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Wednesday episode with the Seahawks being on a bye week, we don't have any matchups to break down, but we're going to be looking at stock watch here the next couple days breaking down which offensive and defensive players have been surprises for the Seahawks and which ones maybe haven't played as well as expected looking forward to breaking down where the Seahawks are at from an individual player basis after five games enjoy the rest of your Tuesday go Hawks